everyone it's the most wonderful time of the year and i'm not talking about the holidays it's the national finals rodeo and kayla's talking with the number 14 cowgirl in the world wenda johnson known as a trainer who brings home big checks at the fraternities and opens to include the extreme millions barrel race pulling a check of 25,000. wenda decided to throw her hat into the rodeo arena this year wenda has a unique story and we look forward to seeing her run down the alley in arlington kayla caught up with wenda while she was traveling down the road and that's why we find this sport and the athletes so amazing This week's episode is brought to you by Wild Sisters. Best friends Faith Kingston and Aaron Davidson from Wyoming were tired of wearing ill-fitting rodeo shirts and decided to take matters into their own hands and started developing a tire that would fill the void. Faith and Aaron picked apart styles to come up with a shirt that would solve many problems for a lot of gals. Their shirt patterns consist of a longer fitted body, longer sleeves, more room in the shoulders and upper arms, and crisp cuffs and collars. But they didn't stop there. Fashion is a vital part of the Wild Sisters. Each shirt is completely unique and no fabric combinations is ever duplicated. The girl needs to know that her style is her own and Wild Sisters has paired that with their function, quality, and design. Shop Wild Sister on their website at www.wildsisters.com. That's W-Y-L-D-S-I-S-T-E-R-S.com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram for all their newest styles. In the words of these Wild Sisters from the West, look good, feel good, compete. And to all the husbands, fiancés, and boyfriends in the passenger seat being forced to listen to another barrel racing podcast, Christmas coming up. I know you procrastinated, so go check out wildsisters.com and pick out something for your special cowgirl today. All right, Wenda, keep your hands at 10 and 2 while you're driving, because you're up. This is The Money Barrel. I know I'm sure you're ridiculously busy, <laughs> but how's it going? Getting ready for next week. We're just finishing all the final touches and preparation to prepare for next week. So just having a good time and enjoying the beautiful weather. So lucky to have such gorgeous weather and looking forward to next week. Awesome. So where do you live in relation to Arlington? Is it a long travel for you there or kind of what are your plans? I live five and a half hours away, but fortunately the two amazing horses I ride for my friends, they live right smack dab between Arlington and Cowtown. So they're in a great location, super convenient, and everything that we need is right there. For the horses they're going to be in their stalls at night every night how awesome is that they're not even going to realize that they're at the big show because they're going to go home every night exactly <laughs> that's awesome so um i guess we'll just start there tell us a little bit about your horses that you're taking to the finals so i've been riding the two first moon flash geldings that my friends own. It's a kind of an unusual story and how our team has come together. Um, I initially rode Flash, Dream's first Flash, the nine-year-old gelding when he was five. And my friends had kind of helped me out. And in return, I said, what can I do to help? And can I ride some horses? And they said, well, we have this horse we think could be a barrel horse. They were brand new to... Um, barrel racing they didn't even know anything about barrel racing and they're 
barn manager who had trained him knew nothing about barrel racing. He was a Peruvian Paso trainer. So they had just patterned him at home. And so when I got on him and cruised him through once as a five-year-old, I could tell how special he was and how talented and knew right away, like, this is a pro-level pro-level horse. Get a futurity trainer, explained what they needed to do. And um, it kind of went from there. So uh, they'd kind of, long story short, it asked and asked and asked me to ride him. And I just kept turning him down, like, no, get a trainer. That's their job. And at the time, I lived about three hours away from them and had two little girls and was finishing school. So I just wasn't interested in taking any outside horses. And long story short, after about a month and a half, then they finally persuaded me and kept saying, I just want you to ride him. So I agreed to ride him. And I just told him, you know, keep him at your house. where You know, he's healthy and safe. And, uh, and then I'll just jock him at the races and start seasoning him. So I initially did that, his five-year-old year. So that was back in 2016. And I rode him for about 10 months. And I only ran him once a month. I didn't, didn't run him a lot. Um, and caught the last two futurities of the season, and he was remarkable, he, um, unbelievably talented. So um, my last run on him, so just as he turned six, was at the Patriot, won the Patriot on him, won both the futurities I went to. I mean, he was winning opens left and right, just so talented. Um, so the, the owners initially really wanted him to go to the rodeo world, and so they had sent him with a pro girl his six-year-old year. Um, and then, you know, that didn't work out. Um, and then, so they'd gotten a good friend of mine, uh, Cassie to get kind of get back on him and kind of get him tuned back up. Um, she got him turning again and then, but just couldn't quite get around him. So he was kind of on top of the barrels and she finally said, you know, get Wenda back on this horse. Well, at the, at that time I had already moved, um, up to Oklahoma. So I, then I was five and a half hours away and I was like, Oh, well, okay. When they called me back up. So now flash was seven. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do what I can to see if I can help them out. And, and then they also had MacGyver Moonflash, which was five at the time. And he had some things that he needed to work through as well. So I said, well, I will do what I can. And we just kind of kept the same thing up. I, they kept him at home. I took him home a little bit, you know, used him on the ranch and rode him a little bit, but uh, just kind of went and got him seasoned and, and took a time and, same thing on Mac. I won two futurities on him, his maturity, his five-year-old year. Um, and then kind of the rest is history. I just try to go have some fun and build their confidence and help them enjoy getting to run barrels. And so that's where we're at right now. And the interesting thing, um, me attending the rodeos, um, I, I initially really didn't have an intention on going to any rodeos. Um, but where, where it all started with the owners of these horses is they went to the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, and they saw the barrel horses running, and they thought, our horse can do this. And so they wanted to just see Flash at Fort Worth, the Fort Worth Stock Show, so bad. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'll get my card so I can run it uh, at Fort Worth. Sure. You want to run there? We can go run there. So I, had, I got my card and filled my permit. Um, first barrel race I went to and didn't go to any rodeos so I hadn't even attended a, a rodeo and then they limited Fort Worth so then 
uh, I was like, well, if we're going to have to go to a few rodeos so I can make top 40 to get invited. So um, that's where I was January of this year. The first rodeo I actually went to was in January. I uh, went to a few and, and had done well enough that I was sitting in the standings. So we continued to go to a few more kind of ones that were close and made sense. Um, only made one trip out uh, to Arizona, but that was because we were going out to a big bar race in Utah. Kind of made sense and uh, kind of stayed somewhat close to home and hit the rodeos around here. And here we are getting the opportunity to compete at uh, the finals here shortly. How crazy. So, so tell us a little bit about the owners who own Mac and Flash, because you said they weren't into barrel horses, and it was actually a Pasofino trainer that trained these guys? Correct. So the owners are pretty new to horses. They've had horses about 10, maybe 15 years. They've just trail rode and, and um, just uh, love animals and love their horses. They bought a little boarding facility. Um in Fort Worth, and so they have, you know, they're surrounded by horses and animals. Uh, they originally purchased Flash to run on the track, so they partnered with somebody to kind of try the whole race, race horse world out. Um, and, you know, and that didn't, they didn't go so well. They went through three different trainers, and he wasn't healthy. He had ulcers really bad, and so that wasn't a very good experience for them. Uh, they ended up buying their partner out and then they were like, we're just going to trail ride on Flash. And they did. They He loves to trail ride. <laughs> he is, Flash absolutely loves it. And so um, the owners got a lot of satisfaction out of just having them in their pasture and, you know, looking out there and seeing them. Their, the barn manager is amazing. He does everything. He starts any colts. He helps all the boarders. He can do a little of everything. Yeah, he literally knew nothing about barrels. As a matter of fact, when he even started patterning Flash, he was going to the third barrel initially. So I'm when I'm saying he knew nothing about barrels, he literally didn't. So when they had a friend stop by and they said, here, come watch Flash and see how he's doing in the barrels. And the guy said, well, he look, looks pretty good, but you're doing this wrong. You, you, that barrel you're going to first, that's the last barrel you go to. So he had to kind of give them some input on um, how the pattern went. And, uh, and, you know, it's the, the barn manager is just really, really good hand. He's really quiet. Um, he doesn't pick on him. He takes his time, but yet still teaches him work ethic and how to be efficient with their bodies. And I think this is the result of um, him putting a great foundation on him. And then I was stepped on him and said, you want to go fast? Let's go fast. And that's been kind of the fun part about it. And what I've really enjoyed kind of helping develop these horses and kind of take my time. I never had a hurry. I don't have any expectations on them and just fill it out as we go. That's so crazy. I mean, it goes to show you that if they're well broke, they do anything you ask them to. Absolutely. Was that hard for you not being around them on a daily basis and then just going to run them? Or, I mean, obviously well, it's just, I can, do that. I can do that all day long on just about any horse I was raised. We used to growing up. So my mom is, uh, is a really great coach. She does a great job um, helping people build confidence in their riding ability. But majority of the horses that we rode growing up were 
blown up, messed up horses that were runaways, bucking, rearing, um, outlaws, you know, horses that people literally had given up on or couldn't ride because they were scared to ride them. And my mom would put my sisters and I on them and we would kind of fix them up. So majority of the horses that we rode growing up had some sort of issue one way or another, whether they were scared would run away or reared up or had gait issues. And so we worked a lot of the problem horses through some of the issues and took a lot of really everything we competed on were free horses that had been given to us uh, and kind of helped them develop them and helped them become champions. So you are just ready to, you know, hop on and that's not an issue for you. And I think that's so interesting. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your background in, you know, obviously you guys rode those type of horses, but did you do any other events? Have you always trained? So growing up, we typically, we did a lot of Gymkanas and uh, high school rodeo at a college rodeo. We also quarter horse showed, uh, but for the most part, we've stayed in the you know, speed events. And, you know, I, I do like English, you know, had an English saddle and rode more just for fun. I never sh- was showed English, but uh, I like the English world and uh, I like to jump. So I even now still jump anything and everything, anytime I get the opportunity, if there's a down log or anything like that, um, then I tend to go that way and jump it because I love to jump. And, um, but yeah. Could, I could do anything and at this point in time kind of gravitated to the speed world. I love speed faster, the better for me. And uh, it gives me a lot of enjoyment. But you don't just barrel race. You actually have a real job and have, you know, focus kind of on your career. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of how you balance. The- sure. The, you know, interestingly enough, I, I just love horses. I just need horses in my life every day. And so whether that's helping my husband on the ranch or trail riding or barrel racing, I just love having horses around and the barrel racing's a perk and a, and a plus, um, but not my sole drive. It had been 10 years since I had barrel raced prior to getting back on, getting on flash his five-year-old year. So if I barrel race, great. If not, it's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I, I obviously wanted to develop the skills I needed in life, um, to help me be successful personally. Um, I, I have my master's, I'm working as a nurse practitioner part-time, um, working on my doctorate right now. So I should hopefully have that finished up by next semester so, you know, I feel like no matter what goals you set, whether it's in the arena, in the barrel racing field, or personally with your educational goals or with your family and helping develop my children to, to be good people in this world, um, I feel like you can accomplish anything. And I really do believe it's super important to have a nice balance of everything and not to be so distracted by one thing, you know, like even like with your career, it's easy to go. I'm only going to do this and, you know, not have an outside life. You know, I, I still balance, like I get to work, but I only work part-time 
which is nice. I run barrels, but it's kind of part-time around my schedule. I spend time with my family. I get to do things I enjoy. And so to me, I feel like that's what's important and keeping my priorities straight and, and find a nice balance so that I get to enjoy a little of everything that is important to me. I, I really like that, actually. I think that's really valuable advice. And I think you know, a lot of people don't think they can be successful at a professional level if they don't do it full time. But I mean, there's plenty of contestants out there that make it work. And I mean, you just have your two horses and they love their job and you keep them loving their job and look at all the success that you guys have had. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like anything is possible when you set your mind to it and you do set goals and you know that it's okay if it takes 10 years to accomplish something you know i I look at where my life is now even my education it took me you know so long to get my nursing degree and then to finish up with my master's took x amount of years and you know even with my doctorate it took x amount of years and here competing at a high level on the barrel horses took x amount of years so you know really I feel like sometimes we limit ourselves and feel like, Oh, I missed my window of opportunity. I think the opportunity is always there and it just depends on when you're ready and prepared. And sometimes it just comes together and all works. And, and that's, you know, I feel grateful for that. And, and I try to take the focus off of having to go win. that's not what drives me is necessarily the winning aspect. I enjoy the development of the horse. I feel like the development of myself continually growing and progressing. I mean, I, even riding at this level, I um, have a coach that watches every one of my runs and makes sure I'm doing what I need to be doing, Um, you know, because I can get on and feel something, but sometimes I feel like I'm doing something. She'll say, oh, you need to, your elbow needs to come in just a little bit. And I I say, okay, I'll go fix it the next time. Um, So, you know, I feel like always being aware and progressing you as an individual, the horses need progression, you're working towards certain goals. Um, All of that is really important as you develop. That's very unique. So tell us more about your coach. Well, my, my coach is a very longtime friend. We grew up together and she does an unbelievable job. She currently coaches youth and some adults, but, um, youth in the barrel world, the rodeo world, uh, and helps them be successful. She's got a lot of kiddos that have really progressed. Well, I definitely believe it's important to have a coach because as we're riding a horse, we're working on the things a horse needs to be improving on and perfecting and working on being efficient. And so the same should go with us as well. And so my friend, we're longtime friends. We grew up together. She has a great ability to be able to pick out and pinpoint things to help and work towards improvement. And, you know, she currently coaches, um, majority of them are, are younger. They're kind of in the junior rodeo, high school rodeo uh, world and, and age group. And she has the ability to um, help somebody even at a, at a beginning stages to progress their horsemanship up to my level where she can literally tell me to make one, two, three changes and the changes, I can make the changes in a run. For instance, like one time when I first was 
on flash his five-year-old year i literally probably the third time i ever wrote him i'd made a run at glen rose you know nothing necessarily that fancy she made several suggestions on some tweaks that we needed that i needed to make as a writer came back on the second run made those changes ended up winning the side pot of the maturity was second in the open behind Cassie Mowry and uh, just a huge difference. Well, one of her students, she was showing one of her students, the two runs comparing the two runs and the student who was about 17 years old at the time said, okay, now who's the second person writing? And she said, no, no, this is the same writer. You know, I told her, you know, to make these changes, she was able to make those changes and literally change my writing style um that dramatic that the girl didn't even recognize that it was the same writer and so i feel like it's it's important for us to be aware of what we need to do and what how we need to be better to help our horses be successful because how can we expect our horses to be perfect when we have our own uh things that we should be working on and be aware of as well uh so anyways, I, I only think that's fair to per- work on our progression so that we can help our horses be successful as well. I love it. I, I really think that's just so important. And how cool is it, you know, that you you are winning at such a high level, but you also still go to somebody to critique you to, you know, keep getting better instead of, you know, just kind of focus on your horses, like you said. I think that's so neat. Um, so... Tell us a little bit about your your writing style, I guess, kind of what you focus on. And I feel like I remember seeing an old video of you running bareback. Like, yeah. Running bareback really, really fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my my mom was is really great at getting an individual to kind of ride ahead of the horse a little bit and not be just a passenger to almost anticipate something before it happens so that you can prevent some of the issues coming up. And well, I feel pretty fortunate with raising at home where my parents were really supportive and my mom's a great coach and really promotes confidence with anybody riding a horse. And I think she taught us to really be comfortable at all speeds on a horse. And that's where I get my love of going fast on a horse. And you know, we do, I, I ride forward, we were just raised that way, so it's kind of in my, I've even tried to dial it back just a little bit, but it's hard for me to really sit clear back on a horse, that's that's something that is going to be tough for me to do, um, but I'm really comfortable kind of sitting in the middle of that horse, or even just a little bit uh, up, kind of running with them on their neck a little bit, so, um, but I feel like she gave us the opportunity to be confident on a horse and to help them figure out like how they can do something and help them like mentally work through any issue that arises because majority of the horses we rode were blown up or ruined or runaways you name it we rode it they rode over backwards they were gates hour yeah we rode them all so um and i definitely can attribute that probably some of that quick handed skill that i've picked up is from riding so many horses i'm not sure if anybody had seen um so let's see it had been two years ago i think at ardmore uh, i was running flash in the derby and he slipped coming into 
to two. And I mean, like I skated slip, probably should have went down. Luckily, he was so athletic. But as he was trying to catch his feet, he put a front foot through the rain um, and broke the reins. And so as he did that, I could feel when that when that released and broke the reins, I could tell in one stride I was going to be on a runaway. Okay, I've ridden enough runaways to know I was going to be on a runaway. So my mom always had taught us this kind of an emergency dismount is what we've always called it. And long story short, it's you slip both hands kind of down their neck and you get your upper body close to their neck and then you kick your feet free and then you swing your feet off and get your feet on the ground while still holding onto the neck and then you push off. It lowers you a little bit closer to the ground so instead of just bailing off of a horse and falling eight feet, you might be falling five feet or five and a half feet. So one, it helps on the height. Two, um, even if you are going to, or if you just were to fall off, you might get stepped on or whatever. This way you're staying close to your horse. And then when you're ready, you push off. So it gives you an opportunity to at least get clear from under their feet. So there's a couple things that really helps. And then three, if your horse understands it and you've taught them that prior to a wreck, then they usually stop. And that's what Flash did. He wow. actually stopped. I was able to quiet him down. He got, he was very rattled. It scared him. He was wide-eyed, blanked out, scared, triggery. So I was able to kind of talk to him, you know, calm him down. He broke his breast collar, like the reins were broke. It was quite a little wreck for him. He'd never been in a wreck like that before. And for me, it was a walk in the park. I literally just slipped off. Even the maturity trainers were like, I, I, I don't know how you just did that. How was that possible? How did you slip off so easy? And I was like, oh, I did that all the time growing up. It's like literally walking in the park for me. And so because we've ridden so many horses, that saved me a, a lot of times doing that before a horse truly ran off with me. Or if one went to buck, I could kind of get off and get them stopped before they truly buck. Because if I'm on a bucking horse, I'm not going to be able to probably ride a bucking horse. <laughs> so I try to prevent things before they actually happen. But it does take practice and it does take some skill. It takes um, a little um, being comfortable enough with it and uh, confident enough that you can just slip off when you need to. Um, but I ride bareback a lot. And so I did usually get it the majority of the time bareback, which I think was helpful as well. But um, but that's just some of the little things on how we were raised to ride and ways to say stay safe when things don't go exactly as planned. And, you know, let's be realistic. We're riding a horse. <laughs> it's Things can go south at any time, even on a well-trained horse like that. They can step in a hole or they can slip. And so being as prepared as possible as a rider, I think, is really important. And then being comfortable with your knowledge and your skill set to be able to execute some of those movements to keep yourself safe. That's that's wild. <laughs> I don't think I would be able to do something like that, but I might have to. Anybody could. I, You know what? My sister coaches a lot of people as well and she's taught all levels of people to do it and I think the more important thing is making sure your horse knows what you're asking so that if you do what it what it does like even so say for instance we have somebody later in life wanting to ride they get thrown forward and they fall on a horse's neck 
and you've taught your horse to do that, first thing the horse does is stop. That horse got to stop. That means this is a transition. Something's going on. I better just stop and pay attention. And so it's helped a, a lot of people and practice and then making sure your horse understands it. And it, I can teach a horse in a minute and a half to literally understand what I'm asking. So anytime I get on a horse that I've never ridden, that's kind of one of the first things I show them because that's such, that's my natural instinct to do. If I get in a wreck, that's how I'm going to get off. And, uh, and I've been on ones that were wide open and that didn't help. And you had to, <laughs> you had to push yourself off or whatever because they weren't going to stop. So um, I usually tried to get off before I got in that wreck. And I actually, on that particular horse, had to cover her eyes and it still didn't work. But uh, I got her slowed down enough that I could then slip off and get her stopped. So kind of talking about unexpected, um, I wanted to go into how you mainly focused on fraternities, big barrel races, running once or twice a month, and then you moved to the rodeos. How was that transition for you? So initially when I got on Flash and Mac, I was going to the fraternities because that was their age and to open barrel races. The It was the kind of desire of the owners to go to some rodeos and try to go to enough rodeos just to be invited to some of those winter rodeos. And that's how the, the path or journey started to actually attend some of the rodeos that I attended. Was it hard for you to get used to the entering or the traveling and such like that? Because you didn't rodeo a lot before these horses, right? You bought your permit then? Right. The entering system is very unusual. You you have a very short time window. The At the time, the calling system, you literally had 8.30 to 5, even though it was open for 24 hours. So you really didn't have that much time. You had to be pretty prepared to call on time. And then multiple times you couldn't get through. And if you didn't get through, you didn't get entered. It was um, just kind of how their system was set up. And so I had a little bit difficult time making sure to even get entered um, just because of the short time frame. And then uh, it also, you enter, but you don't pay right then, you know, so there was just some really unusual, just how it was set up. And this is how their system had been for a long time. This was normal to them. If you didn't call in on time, then that was all you and they didn't take the responsibility on their end to say yeah you tried to call but you couldn't get through you still get entered so there was one rodeo I literally thought that I wasn't going to get entered I had three people calling trying to get through we probably made a total of 60 calls trying to get through Um, and then they progressively got a little bit better that they actually put you on hold and you might wait 15 minutes to get through to somebody so that improved and then now the WPRA has an online option which was just newly implemented uh, recently and and then that's helped because you do have the true 24 hours you're not waiting on trying to get a hold of a person sitting in an office. Finally finally we upgraded some technology <laughs> for ProCom. Yes it's uh it's Yes, in today's day and age, um, your backyard barrel racers were more progressive <laughs> than than uh, what unfortunately was available uh, for the rodeo people. So tell us kind of about your 2020. I mean, I know you started off just trying to get into 
Fort Worth and at what point did you guys decide like we might have to go to a couple more because we have the finals in our sights? It was just really after those I only went to like two or three I went to San Angelo and San Antonio maybe that was it actually I'm not sure but I was sitting eighth and so then then even this was of course prior to COVID then thought oh well you know, it's a potential that we, that I could stay in the standings. Um, and then of course COVID hit and it changed quite, quite a bit. I initially, if I was going to go rodeo, was planning on just going to the bigger rodeos, um, to one kind of save these horses from running at smaller stuff. Um, and then two, not to drag around to all every little rodeo that was available, but as the year progressed and the big stuff all got canceled it was a matter of, well, if you do want to win some money, you are going to have to go to some of the smaller stuff. So I went to a few of the smaller rodeos um, and kind of what was available in the area and um, then just kind of progressed from there. And you kept placing and you ended up 14th. So what, like, at what point did you guys realize, you know, you're going to have to start getting prepared for the NFR you know, trying to find, do you have any other backup horses you're taking or walk us through your preparation for next week? Sure. Well, you know, I feel like preparation is something that is a continual process. I don't feel like I'm doing anything different because I'm running at this particular finals. I run at all sorts of big finals all the time. I ran at, you know, the extreme race, which was a big finals, the WCRAs, which are big races. So I feel like it's a, this is a continual process and I'm not doing anything specifically different to run this race next week. Uh, it's, I'm just using, and I'm even using this race to prepare for the next race, whether it's for my mental game or the horses or whatever that is. So I don't necessarily um, have, feel like it's the end result and preparing only for this race. I feel like this is a stepping stone even for the American. So I'm utilizing the race at Arlington to be prepared for the American, you know. And so, um, anyways, in that process, I do realize it's 10 runs in a row. Um, you know, I've never asked that of either horse. Um, I did line up another uh, amazing, talented horse, um, the owners of SR Industry Titan. He's a seven-year-old stud, are allowing me to use him. And if so I, I don't have a game plan. I haven't made a plan like who I'm going to use when. Um, Max, obviously my kind of my go-to to for consistent runs, solid runs, and um, we'll just play by ear each run. And I'm and that's one thing that I can definitely do is kind of roll with whatever. Even a last-minute change, I have no problem doing. It's a matter of just trying to make you know, the best decision. And I try not to make emotional decisions. Um, try to kind of think through and what's logical, what makes the most sense and go from there. That's one thing I think 2020 has taught everybody is you better be ready to be flexible because who knows when things are going to change. Um, and that's really exciting. I mean, as our industry Titan is such a talented horse, that'll be exciting to see. Oh, absolutely. He is really cool. Um, that's really exciting. Uh, so 
do you have any like therapies you use on them? I mean, I really like, like your program and it seems pretty simple or, you know, how do you, you guys keep these horses in shape when you aren't necessarily running them, you know, every weekend? You know, I, I, I would like to do more therapy on them, but you know, obviously it's up to the owners. Um, the, probably the best thing that's going for Mac and Flash is they just have a really good exercise regimen and they're in shape, literally in great enough shape that we can kind of get by um, without doing some of the additional amazing therapies that are available. And uh, I really attribute it to the exercise program that the barn manager does for these horses. What is their exercise program? Can you give us a little bit more info on that? Yeah, he probably rides them, you know, at least five days, maybe six days a week. And he, you know, good trot, good lope on them. They get sprinted occasionally. So they're they're in shape. Is he going with you to the finals or is anybody going to help you? You know, um, I don't think I don't think he's going to go with me. I mean, he can if, if I need him to. He's great. He's an, an amazing help. He's hard worker. He'll do anything I need. Um, I actually, so my coach or my friend from Arizona is coming out. She'll be um, on the ground. If I need anything, she's great because she can, uh, if I need help, she steps in. And if I don't, she stays out of the way and she can practically read my mind on if I need something, she will step in and get it done without being in the way. So um, she, she's great and we have a great uh, relationship and, and uh, she's a big part of our team. And, and it's been, yeah, it's she'll be able to tell you if you need to fix something for the next Oh, oh, she'll tell me. Oh, she's not shy to be like, Wenda, you need to do this with your hand or, you know, just those little tweaks that really do make a big difference. And it's, it's easy to kind of fall into habits or use old habits or, you know, kind of get by sometimes, especially when you're riding a young horse. Occasionally, you got to change something very last minute to get around a barrel or do whatever. And, um, and so, you know, it's just a part of the progression. That's awesome. That's really exciting to hear. Um, a question that I wanted to ask, because I feel like you use a very unique bit on these geldings. Can you tell us a little bit about the tack you use on them? So I've been pretty consistent on Mac. Um, I use a JD Morrow bit. It's kind of a three piece with a little small port. Um, it's pretty straightforward I can really run him in anything flash has been a little harder to try to to find the right, right bit for for a while I was using that elevator bit by Les Boyd and it was working really really well until we got in that wreck in Ardmore and then after that literally it didn't work anymore for him so so I'm I'm back in the rate and turn on him um the Molly Powell rate and turn okay but uh but, you know, with him, I kind of have to change it up every so often. Um, and I just kind of go with what I works. think it was the elevator bit. When I saw you run them last year somewhere, I saw it. And I, you don't see very many people use a bit like that. I think Charmaine James used to use something like that on Scamper. Yeah. But otherwise, you don't really see that a whole lot. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah. You, you know, it's um, I did a little um, article in the barrel horse news on I think it was like bits of advice or something like that but um, I explained it and the 
purpose and the breakdown of the bit. Um, it's actually a great training tool and a lot of like working cow horse guys use the elevator bit. Um, it's really a tough competition bit because the timing has to be so accurate. <laughs> if you're off with your timing, um, then it's really not an efficient bit. So I, if you use it as a competition bit, it's um, pretty tricky, in, in my opinion. All right. I always like to ask this question um, to, you know, everybody on the podcast, and especially you packing up your trailer to head to Arlington. What are a couple things that you have to have in your trailer, whether it be for you or for your horse that, you know, you, you can't leave without? You know what? I'm pretty basic. I just, I... Um, that's a really good question. Um, nothing necessarily specific stands out. I mean, as long as I kind of have my basic essentials, um, I don't have any other, like, no, 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 I just, I don't just kind of have my basics I need and, and kind of move forward. Uh, nothing specific, just normal tack and keep things clean. Um, make sure I check my, you know, tack every so often, make sure I don't have Chicago screws loose and things like that. But other, other than that, pretty straightforward. All right. Well, we won't keep you too much longer. I know it's been busy and I appreciate you even cutting us a little bit of your time today. My last question is, what is the buckle you wear? Like, what's your favorite win? Uh, I I typically, I still wear my, uh, I have an AQHA world title. So I still wear that buckle um, for the most part. But I really, you know, I've gotten where I hardly wear one um, in the saddles because I have kind of a smaller seat now. I, I feel like getting to the point where, making this as easy as possible. So I have a pretty small seat for me. I'm probably really a, I'm a 13 and a half to 14. And um, I run in a 13 and a 13 and a half, but I, my saddle tends to, or my buckle tends to get a little hung up. So I just don't run in That's one. probably smart. No, no accidents. We don't need any accidents. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we hope you uh, get a round buckle or two at the finals. And thank you so much for talking to us. We can't wait to watch you and Mac and Flash and Titan in Arlington. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. You keep listening, so we'll keep bugging guests to talk with us. Stay tuned this week as we post more interviews, videos, and updates about the NFR. Go check out Wild Sisters on Facebook and Instagram and give them a like and a follow. Or head to their websites at wildsisters.com. W-Y-L-D-S-I-S-T-E-R-S.com. They're doing some awesome stuff and deserve some recognition. Check out our Facebook at The Money Barrel for some really cool NFR stuff Kayla will be doing with Samantha Winslow from Performance Horse Academy. You guys stay healthy out there. Good luck to the NFR contestants, and we'll see you soon.